This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, this one will blow your mind! to Watches of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that may be taking over the very underpinnings of moral and modern society. <laughs> yeah, fun like that. My name is Gepwin, and I am joined, as always, my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And we are so close. This is like so close to the end of season one, which everyone mm-hmm. agrees is the not good season. Yes. The last couple episodes aren't bad, so we're getting we're getting there. And then the first couple episodes of the next season aren't that great, so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> trade-offs, you know. <laughs> they uh, had to you know, warm up to get to these uh, you know, last uh, trailing episodes of the season, and the next season, well, with everyone kind of, you know, changing out and fired writers and replacements and all that, they had to get started up again. So, you know. Yeah. But we're almost done. This is uh, one of the weird, slightly two-part episodes that they haven't really done before or since. They they set up this episode way back, like six or so episodes ago, mm-hmm. in Coming of Age. Yes, that uh, one people barely remember, but remember elements from. Well, people tend to remember Wesley taking the test part. Mm-hmm. And people tend to remember the setup for this yes it's very difficult to remember that those are the same episode because they have nothing at all to do with each other (laughs) so you could say you know it had a half an episode prequel to this one (laughs) Mm -hmm. so this is the episode entitled conspiracy are 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 they out to get us yes they are out to get us hooray (laughs) we're wanted this was written by robert Savarov, I'm gonna have trouble with that last name. Uh, Savarov, Savarov, or Savor. If it's Russian, it might be Savarov. I'm not sure. I should listen to interviews or something before oh. we do these. But or we could uh, radically mispronounce it and have it be Savarov. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> I've only just started playing through Final Fantasy VII Remake, so it works. <laughs> excellent. Anyway, we've talked about him a lot before because he's wrote Immunity Syndrome and Home Soil. So mm-hmm. quite a few things that have that have we've gotten we've gotten through. Well known Star Trek dude. Yes, uh, uh, some of the uh, you know I guess inspiration from this actually came from Ron and Mary, and uh, Robert Deere, uh, you know uh, wrote up a whole script, and then Tracy Torme was like, you know what, this is too expensive. I'm going to rewrite some of it. So mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, this thing had some troubled production, <laughs> and it was controversial because yes. explosions. Yes. I was traumatized by this episode as a child, I remember. So. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, perhaps noted as being perhaps one of the more gory episodes of Star Trek kind of ever, like even counting like, you know, Discovery era uh, stuff here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which doesn't tend to hold back very much. So all right, I'm going to try to run through the guest stars because we've got a few more than normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty guest star heavy episode actually and we're not even going to name everyone so don't bother me about it yes <laughs> no one does but you know one day someone will you forgot who did <laughs> which case we can reply i don't care yeah anyway ward castillo and robert shinkin are back playing gregory quinn and dexter rimmick they were both in 
coming of age to set this whole thing up. So they're mm-hmm. reprising those roles. Yes. Uh, and they were worried about a conspiracy in the Federation last time. So, you know, this is the payoff. And, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be allies in this, right? Yeah. You know, they, they set up that he's like looking into this stuff and then he's going to recruit Picard to fight it with him. And yeah, it'll mm-hmm. be great. So Henry Drow plays Savar, the Vulcan dude, you can tell. He uh, is best known for playing um, some name that I can't pronounce in the High Chapel, which I don't also don't know as a show. <laughs> and he played uh, Don De La Vega in 1990's Zorro, which I haven't seen. There's so many Zorros that I hadn't heard of. Indeed. It's interesting. <laughs> Uh, he's uh, also in uh, two episodes of Star Trek Voyager, where he plays uh, Chakotay's dad. Yes. Yes. Um, so um, he gets around. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of them is unfortunately the episode tattoo. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, no one, that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in an episode of Babylon 5 as a, a doctor guy. So we have uh, also Ray Reinhardt playing Aaron. I can't find a lot on this guy. Uh, he's been around a little bit, but he'll definitely go on to play um, a feather-headed professor in Star Trek Voyager. Tolan Wren <laughs> in like the first few episodes of the series. His last name. Yeah, yeah. His, 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 his last name's Wren. You know, birds, wrens. You know. Ha 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 ha. And Jonathan Falwell plays Walker Keel. He's best known for being on The Young and the Restless. He's also appeared in several movies and other TV shows. That is better known for his stage work, which we don't talk about because that's not TV. Yeah, but uh, if you want to put a, on a stage play explaining everyone's stage work, uh, have at it, actually. I'd actually <laughs> kind of like to see that. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yes. Uh, there is also uh, Michael Berryman. Uh, I only really wanted to note him because he's a very recognizable actor, uh, kind of, uh, the whole bald and kind of, you know, mean looking sort of face going on here. Uh, he's, uh, often depicted at, you know, you know, plays characters that are like going to be intimidating things like that. I think he was, uh, mm-hmm. one of the bikers in weird science, for instance. Yeah. He's got a very recognizable face. Yes. And, uh, he's been in basically everything. So, you know. Now that I'm looking at the picture of him, you can even see it through the makeup he was in in this show. Yeah. <laughs> He's got such a recognizable face that you can recognize him as a weird little lizard dude. <laughs> he was in Motley Crue, Home Sweet Home, as the man with phone. Ooh, mm. man with phone. <laughs> the, the, the famous and most beloved role. <laughs> man was, with phone. Uh, he was also in The Hills of Eyes, but the one from the 70s. <laughs> as, as man with eyes. So a necrosis. Hmm, this seems uh, topical for this episode, I think. Yeah. yeah. Weird horror movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, in this one, he plays Captain Ricks as, the, I think, the first Bolian that shows up in Star Trek. So, hooray. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. he liked his makeup, and so he took it home with him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they let you do that. <laughs> well, if, if it's like, yeah, you're done for today. Oh, I'm just going to go home. Of course, I don't think you're supposed to. I've heard so many stories of people who just walked home with jackets and then the, yeah. the costume department's like, hey, where's that jacket? It's like, oh, I don't know. Oh. You don't have <laughs> oh, what do you mean we have reshoots now? What? <laughs> All right. That's everybody. Uh, we'll see. This this plot may or may not be complicated. Mm-hmm. Conspiracies. There's, there's layers. Yeah. There's yeah. layers on layers and conspiracies. Mm-hmm. So what's our first layer? So the Enterprise is on way to shore leave again. Yes. 
We're going to get the short leaves one of these days, guys. Promise. <laughs> these people cannot catch a break. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're going to another beach planet. Uh, that means uh, we're going to you know, be a face of the uh, a, a massive dilemma. Someone's going to get married or we're all going to die, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to the ocean beach planet, which I guess is just a planet filled with a bunch of like sandy atolls or something. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool. Uh, though, uh, if it's like sandy atolls, like every 50 feet, there's another one. That could be a little weird. <laughs> then just more like the damp planet. Yeah, I don't <laughs> see how else you get a sandy beach planet. You know, but uh, they're all joking around. They're looking forward to moonlight skinny dipping and such and confusing data by being horny for the beach. Mm -hmm. It's great. And so that they and are interrupted. And uh, a wharf is like, uh, you know, I don't like swimming. It's like bathing. Yeah, they, they're mean to wharf yes. that kind of thing. <laughs> so they're interrupted by an emergency transmission, a code 47, Captain Eyes only. <gasps> Picard's woken up to see the message in his quarters. It's his old friend Walter Keel. Captain Keel is using the transmission to call Picard to a secret off-the-books meeting on a nearby abandoned mining planet to discuss something wrong with the Federation. Hmm. I guess we better uh, haul and you know, over to meet Keel. You know, some Keel hauling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. that's not horrifying. Uh, Picard does take the invitation and orders the ship to Ditlax B, answering no questions, making no logs. That's it. He arrives. He finds three other Federation ships, and all the captains have beamed down alone to this little open mine pit thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we the, are. Uh, yeah, we have a cave set. We can just you know dress it up a little bit now it's a mine uh, yeah. shaft so it's appropriately creepy i do like it yes <laughs> he beams down and has all the captain's point phasers at him you know this is picard beaming down to a planet alone you know this is pretty standard fare actually <laughs> yep <laughs> keel questions picard about all their old times together with trick questions and stuff like like oh my sister so you don't have a sister what is this shut up <laughs> <laughs> and if i recall the at we met was uh, pretty uh, spicy if you know what i mean <laughs> when they are all satisfied that picard is indeed picard keel tells them that things are wrong weird orders strange behavior people bluffing through conversations about their past like everyone has no memory hmm well, that's a little weird. Uh, is there some sort of virus that's affecting people's memories? Maybe. Hmm. Even Kill's lone first officer is behaving weird. Hmm. Well, you better yeah, watch memory virus. Yeah, you you better watch out for that because if he forgets like how not to use the self destruct, that could be a problem. Yeah, these things, these ships seem to blow up as a matter of course. Yeah. Picard doesn't know what to make of this. There's no evidence. There's vague feelings. You know, but they tell him to just keep his eyes open and watch his back because. These few captains who are all hanging around on the outskirts are the only ones who've noticed this stuff. They are, uh, I guess, in well position to see the bigger picture, while everyone else is too 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 into it. This weeds, man, you can't you can't see what's really going on. So Picard shares his revelation with Troy, who has some concerns about how these captains are asking him to disobey regulations. But Picard and Keel were inseparable way back when, and he knows that he wouldn't make requests like this if he didn't have an actually good reason. Mm -hmm. So he asks Data to go over Starfleet's orders and see if he can find any patterns that normal people wouldn't. Yeah, Data, you're immune to all viruses except that one, so you have at it. <laughs> so with nothing else to do, they set course for Pacifica again, but no sooner do they head off than they detect a disturbance nearby and go to find debris that is consistent with the makeup and volume of the remains of Keel's ship. 
Dun, dun, dun. Well, um, I guess uh, that first officer did forget how not to use the uh, self-destruct button. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So with this new evidence, uh, Picard feels like he should probably share his suspicions with Riker as well. They are both very suspicious, but lack proof until Data comes in and goes like, Hey, look, here's a bunch of subtle ship orders that have weakened our defenses. And uh, we've uh, been uh, setting up, uh, you know, uh, lots of, uh, you know, interesting people in strategic locations. So that, say, if someone wanted to seize power quickly of the Federation without, you know, any questions, well, this is kind of how you do it. So with evidence mounting, Picard decides to return to Earth, which is interesting also because like they have this emergency situation we don't know you know how long things are going to take there seems to be an imminent takeover etc etc they are constantly described as being on like the farthest flung edges of explored space that's their whole thing yes (laughs) and now they're just going back to the center of the federation for a day trip yeah well i guess we could sort of maybe splice in like a few weeks of time between here and there or something like that (laughs) But, you know, I guess uh, also they're uh, somewhere near the Romulan border generally. So that's also like a couple days away half the time. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they are contacted by several admirals. We've got Savar, Aaron, and Quinn, who we remember from before. Mm-hmm. They want to know why the Enterprise is back at Earth without orders. Well, uh, we just wanted to drop by because Pacifica, it sucked. And we wanted to go to a real beach. Yeah. <laughs> Are they buying it? No. Oh, crap. <laughs> so they invite Picard and Riker to dine with the admirals, except for Quinn, who wants to beam up there alone because reasons. We remember he was very suspicious of Starfleet conspiracy before, so maybe mm-hmm. he's coming up to like talk to someone or you know, acting oh. weird because he has his own suspicions, same as the captain's. And uh, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for Quinn to uh, talk to Picard and Riker before they beam down, and uh, it's like, you know, Here's who's in on the conspiracy, and this is what we're trying to do. And uh, you know, don't let them inject the uh, the needle into your arm or something like that. Yeah, needles. Yeah, no, standard standard practice. Just walk up and like take this needle. I'm like, yes, sir. Because <laughs> that's how they spread the mind erasing virus. <laughs> <laughs> so when Quinn's preparing to go up to the ship, Remick comes in. Now we have the old pair back, mm-hmm. uh, and gives him a briefcase with a bug. A weird bug thing in it. Yeah, it uh, looks sort of like uh, Play-Doh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of bluish, purplish, pinkish, sort of here and there, you know. So Picard tries to talk to Quinn a bit about the threats he mentioned before, but uh, he's like, oh, I didn't really mean threats. How silly. I meant I'm old. Yeah, and I'm scared (laughs) of new systems entering the Federation. So, yeah, yeah, don't don't worry about it. I just don't talk good. So they show him to his quarters. As soon as he's out of earshot, Picard tells Riker that Quinn is acting weird and suspicious, not like he used to, so keep an eye on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Find an excuse to have the doctor examining. Yeah, you know, he, he just mentioned that he's an old fellow, and uh, he might be feeling yeah. great, but you never know. You, you know, just just a little push down the hallway. You, know, you could do this, Riker. Picard beams down to find the admirals and Remick very creepily waiting for him. You know, this... Uh place seems a little deserted and uh, i guess you want me to drink some tea here um 
this isn't poison, right? All right, you're drinking it, but that could mean anything. So back on the ship, Riker finds Quinn in his quarters to question about stuff. He's like, hey, what's in that briefcase? And Quinn says, oh, we found a superior form of life. And then suddenly just attacks him, jumps Riker. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's really, really strong for an old guy. Yes, uh, you know, he's uh, apparently been taking his uh, vitamins and uh, one eating Wonder Bread or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, he takes out Riker. Then he takes out Jordy and Worf, who respond to Riker's distress call. And then he's busy throwing Jordy through a door when uh, Crusher arrives and shoots him. It's like, well, uh, I guess I didn't think about, you know, the fact that people have phases of the future. I can't, uh, you know, punch everyone out on the ship. Yeah, hard to punch mm. a phaser. Yeah. Though maybe we could try. <laughs> so they take Quinn to sick bay now that he's knocked out. Uh his scans match the files, so it's definitely the same dude. But they do find a strange thing sticking out of his neck. Hmm. Well, that's a little odd. Uh, did he get, uh, you know, some sort of cyst back there? Yeah, a little wiggly tube cyst. Hmm, yeah. This seems to be a breathing apparatus for maybe something inside his head. So, back on Earth, they're going to start dinner. Uh, Picard contacts the ship and is told that they found Quinn has been taken over by a parasite. That has complete control of the host body and breathes through the little protrusiony tube thing. So, look out for that. Wait, so it might not be a memory erasing virus, but a puppet master situation? Yep, it's it's body snatching. Yeah, great. <laughs> well, at least we're not making you know, dealing with clone duplicates this time. Yeah, so Picard is forced to go into dinner while Riker uh, surprises Crusher in sick bay. We got a jump scare from Riker. Yeah, well, uh, Riker had been knocked out during the fight, and uh, you know, uh, you know, Quinn had been bug. yeah, and uh, had been uh, hovering over him uh, for a little bit before uh, Jordy and uh, Worf came in. So you don't know what could have happened between those moments there. Mm -hmm. So Picard goes into dinner, opens up his meal, and finds worms. <laughs> it's, it's it's grubs, uh, like beetle grubs, actually. Yeah, they're meal worms. Yeah. People eat these. <laughs> it's it's very common in Thai cuisine, in fact. Calm down. Yes. But, uh, you know, Picard, you know, being French is going to be like, you know, this isn't escargot. What, what is this, guys? Come on. Picard tries to leave, but he's blocked by Riker, who enters the room and forces him back into his chair. Oh, no. Riker's being a bully. Wait. Yeah. They inspect <laughs> Riker and find a neck tube. Hmm. Well, he must be one of the parasite guys then. Hmm. Oh, they go, you weren't meant for Riker. He says, well, couldn't be helped. He walked in on uh, Quinn, and then, you know, other things started happening, and then suddenly I'm all parasited, you know. And also, they're joined by one of the captains from the mines. <gasps> Don't ah, know. So whatever these things were, they knew what was going on from the beginning. Captain Scott! Yeah, we loved him. <laughs> uh, her, in this case. <laughs> Ranker prepares to eat his worms, and then immediately starts shooting before he has to eat worms. Hmm. Well, um, I guess that's one way to start up a dinner conversation. He saves the card from being implanted. They take out the host body and the parasite crawls out of their mouth. So they follow it under a door where they find Remick, who also eats the parasite. Remick's hmm. just sitting in a chair being menacing. Yes, uh, he has a cool uh, galaxy map behind him, though. Uh, one that will actually show up numerous times in Star Trek and even in one episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. You know, once you uh once you make a big map yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah this is pretty cool so i got the galaxy sort of thing going on and various sectors and kind of noted you know star systems and stuff so 
Remick says that they don't mean humanity any harm. They just want to coexist. It's great, right? We just want peaceful coexistence. You know, uh, by Picard and Riker respond by popping his head like a balloon. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to answer, uh, you know, pleas for coexistence. They keep shooting until his chest cavity explodes and there's some sort of snaky creature thing in there. Hmm. And they blast that too, vaporizing the whole thing into a giant smoking corpse. Yes. <laughs> now, what if the uh, the thing inside Remick was actually unrelated to all the, uh, you know, the parasite dudes there and they just liked hanging out together? <laughs> yeah, that could have been interesting. It's like, no, I'm a different kind of parasite that's trying to protect you from the other parasite. <laughs> yeah, I attract them here once they leave their host bodies and eat them. It's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, apparently, though, uh, when this guy uh, goes kaboomy, uh, all the other, uh, you know, parasites, uh, the bluegills, as they're often called, because they're little blue thing out your back of your neck uh they just kind of become inactive or die or something yeah they're all psychically connected to the queen or something so <laughs> now they stopped quinn's gonna be fine um they exploded remix so he's not but everyone else is gonna be okay yeah well maybe not the people they you know set the kill on the phasers maybe they're dead just you know yeah quinn because he, he was you know knocked out by a crusher specifically <laughs> But before they took him out, Remick was sending a message. Some sort of homing beacon aimed at an unexplored part of the galaxy. Oh no! That means we're going to have to face these guys again? Yeah, maybe. This is the only plot line I will accept for Picard 3. <laughs> the, uh, the Blue Gales, they're back! And they're taking yeah. over the Federation! And they're uh, summoning up a bunch of, uh, of uh, Picard and company's uh, rogues galleries to uh, help them do it because, you know... Taking over admirals didn't work last time. And, you know, with, uh, you know, Admiral Aaron and Admiral Savar dead, that meant that uh, uh, Admiral Necheyev got promotion from captain, and that just caused all sorts of other problems down the road. Yeah, we just have a uh, Spider-Man plot line where they <laughs> bring back all of his old villains. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, the, the ones that can be infected are infected. The other ones are just sort of there and hanging out and want revenge anyway. So, you know. <laughs> so, conspiracy. Right. Yeah, that's conspiracy. But, yes. So, this is interesting because, so, timeline-wise, mm -hmm. this episode came out in 1988. Um, <clears throat> one of the last episodes to come out in the in that time period because of the season crossover and stuff there's a few more because you know seasons don't match up to years but yes this is one of the later episodes in 1988 mm -hmm. which is the last year of the cold war yes <laughs> so uh, we got a, a story about you know uh you know, everyone around you might not be trustworthy. They might be working for an unknown enemy, plotting against us, tearing us apart from the inside, you know, and it's all going to be going back to the, the Reds, the Soviet Union over there. Wait, the Soviet Union started to collapse? Uh, huh. Never mind. <laughs> what yeah, do you mean, this you know, is, unification of Germany? <laughs> this is completely the, like, the, the, the most Red scary like cold warrior a plot line that we get out of next generation ever yeah you know, the, the whole uh you know red scare slash spies everywhere thing is kind of a running trope that was really big during the cold war because you know you could always sort of point to the you know uh, uh you know uh, you know, global political dynamics and it's like yeah this is obviously an allegory for this so you know yeah you had a lot of 
sleeper agent fears, um, hidden hidden spies. Like maybe your neighbors aren't your real neighbors. You're, you're being taken over by communist propaganda, etc., etc. It's a very McCarthyist sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Because this and like invasion, of the, this is a very invasion of the body snatchers style plot, which is kind of the pinnacle, you know, Cold War era movie, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting one because it's it's always pointed at as kind of a like, you know, there were there were spies everywhere. Both countries were spying on each other. You never knew who you could trust, et cetera, et cetera. But in this kind of plot line, when someone's being taken over, it's a lot more akin to indoctrination. Yes. So it's it's very much this McCarthy era worry of the communists are spreading their stuff to everyone, and you never know when an American is going to turn red on you. Yeah, you know, the you know your neighbors they were your neighbors they are your neighbors still, but they're not the neighbors you knew. They've been converted secretly by you know their other friends that they don't talk to you about because you're not ready because those friends are socialists. Yeah. <laughs> you even get the sort of, you know, communist mono mind thing that they love doing with this sort of stuff. Because the queen can apparently psychically connect all things. They don't really explain it very well in here. It's mostly so they can take out one bad guy and take out the entire thing without a problem. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to worry about, you know, it's like, oh, they might be a little confused for direction, but they're still trying to do the thing. And uh, we have to go on a long uh, adventure trying to stamp it out and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Instead, we could just kind of blow this one up and then, you know, we reset the uh, the universe again. And it's kind of... Like it's interesting because they they show you this thing as a th- fundamental threat. It's coming in, taking over people. It shows like they're willing to blow up a ship with a lot of people on it. So they demonstrate them as inherently threatening. But this is one of the only times, especially in Next Generation, when they encounter a new species that is just unequivocally evil. They don't even try talking to them at all at any point they just immediately start the killing yes <laughs> even with the board it's like uh can we communicate with them maybe <laughs> and you know guy is like not really but no, we're gonna try anyway i guess <laughs> and then of course they set up this thing that's never used again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well as you said the cold war game don't end so uh <laughs> i guess the uh, blue gill parasites uh union of soviet socialist republics collapsed and you know it was just so far away that nobody noticed <laughs> Yeah, the bugs, the the bug thingy is just gone. They tore down the space wall, etc. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I guess uh, to a degree, though, uh, that uh, it does open up possibilities, uh, you know, down the road. You know, because what what if this the species has taken over other entire you know empires, federations, etc. Down the road, you know, if we do eventually run into them, you know, be it Picard season three or uh, something else. You know, that might be uh, an interesting sort of dynamics. Like your entire species has been hijacked and, you know, your leadership is run by these weird bug things that tried to do this to us once. And the locals are like, you're crazy. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, apparently, sorry, I'm just skimming through explanations here. Apparently these things were given a lot of very stupid, stupid plot later in other media. (laughs) Yeah, you mean the uh, the books and things like that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it's fine. They are genetically engineered trill trill symbiotes. Uh, what? 
Yes. <laughs> They're genetically engineered trill symbiotes in made by the Solansi, who are those clicky bug aliens from the one creepy episode. <laughs> so uh, for so, use by something that seems to be exclusive to Star Trek Online, as far as I can tell. So in other words, all of that... Oh, Iconians. So Iconi- the Iconians show up in Star Trek Online again? That's weird. Uh, I thought they were all dead. What, what's I going thought so on? too. Star Trek Online's done some weird stuff. <laughs> well, I think they have a, like a time machine in-universe, so I guess they can just kind of mess with everything. <laughs> also, I hate their design. I'm just going to ignore all that uh, uh, dubious canon over there and just keep to what we actually show on us, uh, the <laughs> show here. <laughs> because you know having to be a mystery species uh that is you know from well beyond federation space that you know might be you know plotting to uh take over at some point uh down the road when they're uh, in a better position that seems more interesting to me honestly so and uh keeps things open instead of you know rehashing stuff and elements we already have this is one of the problems with long-running things like this of how they have to feel like they have to keep explaining everything yeah <laughs> Yeah, sometimes leaving some mysteries fine, guys. Hmm. Now, uh, I, I, I do that in some of my writing. It's like, all right, so, uh, you know, you can, you know, I bring up, you know, plot uh, threads A, B, C, and D, and B and D don't ever actually go anywhere because they're more for building the universe to giving you a verimicillitude uh, and not necessarily things that are relevant to the main plot. But A and C, well, those are the ones that are important. And so the uh, main character, interested in those, is going to follow them. Now, I feel like we've talked about Core of the Word stuff a dozen or more times because of original series. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much else we've got to add on the Cold War aspect of this whole thing. <laughs> well, I guess it m- might be an opportunity for you and me to talk a little bit about our experiences during the Cold War. I have a exceptionally vague memory of a tv show i was watching being interrupted by a speech my mom said was important about the fall of the uh, soviet union oh yes and uh you know uh, what, what do you remember from this speech that a tv show i was watching was interrupted because i think i was three <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> uh, I, was, I think i'm a little older than you so uh the uh you know i remember such things a little bit more concretely i suppose uh you know the berlin walls uh you know stuff was uh you know it's like wait i always heard about this wall thing you mean people could just tear it down what that's allowed Oh, well, cool for them, because it seemed like this was causing a lot of problems. <laughs> um, and then, you know, not so long later, you know, it's like, you know, the Soviet Union starts falling apart and, uh, you know, you know, various republics are, uh, you know, declaring independence. I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, I get to update my maps because, you know, I'm into cartography and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's sort of a very selfish and, you know, kids uh, like uh, sort of response to this. But uh yeah, you, know, you know, in retrospect, you know, the uh, breaking up of the Soviet Union was, you know, kind of a necessary thing in order to, I guess, move us forward as a, a global civilization. Uh, you know, not, you know, because, you know, the, the Soviet Union specifically was, you know, you know, the worst ever, though it had a lot of problems. Um, it, it was sort of a, you know, these various uh, republics have been under a dictatorial uh, stranglehold for so long that getting their independence will allow them to have a fresh start and 
hypothetically the same could have happened to Russia, but they've gotten their their uh, strongman back. But anyway, uh, so you know, getting uh, rid of dictatorships uh, overall is a, a good thing, I have to say. So uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, not everyone that uh, had the opportunity did, but a good many of them did. So hooray! Now I'm thinking about Turkmenistan. <laughs> I think since this uh, this whole plot line doesn't really involve another government, doesn't really involve an entity that we've ever heard of. This isn't you know the Romulans or the Ferengi who would have been the big bad of this season mm-hmm. infiltrating the Federation. This functions in an interesting way where you're you're obviously meant to draw Cold War parallels, but it reminds me a little bit more of kind of the political allegory of things like um did you ever see the play rhinoceros can't say i have so the idea of that is it's a um it's a small town i forget if they specify where but there's it's a small town and somebody sees a rhinoceros running around and everyone gets into these weird things like it probably couldn't have been that would be insane the rhinoceroses don't live here um, also, they can do a whole discussion every time about whether what kind of rhinoceros it is and all the differences <laughs> between different species of rhinoceros. And this... then people keep on seeing more and more and more rhinoceri running about. And eventually it turns out that people are, in fact, turning into rhinoceri. <laughs> and uh, the entire thing is completely kind of ignored until, like, the last character left is watching like their their partner transform right in front of her and the entire thing is in fact written as an allegory for sort of the slow fascist takeover of a small community during the early days of nazism Hmm. and how people just sort of ignore it and do this whole well it couldn't happen here you probably didn't see what you thought you saw how do you know that this person is this sort of terrifying like all these people that you've known for years are suddenly becoming something insanely different, but also everyone's treating you like you're crazy for noticing. Indeed. And are you sure it's, uh, you know, actual fascism and, uh, you know, not just, you know, a light sprinkling of authoritarianism with uh, this other sort of aspect, uh, you know, uh, grouped in there? Because, you know, these are totally different, you know, and you should be way more worried about one. But if it's the other, <laughs> eh, it's maybe not so bad. What? Yeah. are you serious so this kind of reminds me of that like especially now i'm probably bringing some modern stuff into it but that's what you do with media critique it reminds me of that like finding out everything's not fine and then finding out how a lot of people that you knew are involved in things being not fine and a lot of people who are in charge that you're supposed to trust with stuff are also involved in things being not fine and it's not exactly a conspiracy it's just a lot of people are ignoring what's happening. Yes. You know, you, uh, to the point where, you know, you start downing yourself because people are either, you know, gaslighting you or are pretending like, you know, whatever's going on is totally normal. And why are you nodding on it, too? <laughs> or just convincing each other of things. Like, there's a decent, there's some of that in the early parts of this, like this guy came to me with a suspicion that something's not going well, but I've also known these other people for a long time and trusted them. How do I know whether, like, if these people are doing something bad, I need some actual evidence more so than someone saying they are doing something bad. Yeah, if I want to have something actionable, I need proof. And, you know, I'm going to follow the rules and uh, 
you know, and uh, you know, go through the channels that are appropriate to sort of solve things like this. And they do to some degree. They don't do it a lot because this episode's very rushed for how much it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they really need this like a, a third part. <laughs> yeah. There's a certain amount of just basic trust in the systems that you follow and believe in and live inside work fine and are there to benefit you. And so if something is wrong with that, something's wrong with your basic belief of the world that all of these things are working fine and are here to benefit you. So even if it becomes somewhat obvious that that's not the case, you're very invested in the idea that it's actually all okay. Maybe you need a few small tweaks. Maybe you need to get rid of the queen alien. But really, everything's going to be fine once that happens. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just a a little bit of, uh, you know... uh, uh, polishing of things here it's going to be a, a good enough and uh, any systematic problems that are uh, you know being exposed here no th- that's not systematic problems that's just a result of you know uh, our queen alien having a bad day yeah. <laughs> which i think well it's interesting that a lot of these a lot of these cold war era storylines the the invasions of the body snatchers style stuff the <laughs> you can't trust your neighbors style things are in fact um light american fascistic propaganda to demon demonize others in a somewhat xenophobic way and get you to mistrust your fellow citizens for having alternate political beliefs to yourself Mm -hmm. they also very interestingly function as uh good like queer allegories of suddenly finding out everyone in your community has actually been against you this entire time you just didn't know it i think there's just this innate fear that you can have from any marginalized or minority community where everything's fine as long as no one knows and then as soon as someone knows everyone can suddenly turn against you and people that you knew and trusted for years are suddenly spouting ideologies that are directly threatening to you as an individual Mm -hmm. so I, there's a very good there's there's queer readings of this stuff that you can get into which i find very interesting given that the original intention is is decidedly authoritarian yes <laughs> you know uh you know trust your instincts and uh, watch out for those trying to undermine your society or you know you know uh, you know suddenly you know people are coming out as gay well do i panic no, no, you shouldn't. But, uh, you know, in the, the context of the story, you know, we're panicking. Ah. Well, I think you could read it both directions. Like, you could have, this is the one straight person who sees, like, gayness all around them and are suddenly threatened by it. You could also have it the other direction of someone who figures out that they are gay or queer in some capacity now discovers that this community that they lived in is suddenly not friendly to them anymore. Indeed. So you get a, a sort of a, a two allegories for the price of one potentially here, and uh, oh, several really, <laughs> really this, all kinds. This of, plays you know, off a very um, put together. This plays off a very basic human fear, because humans are incredibly social animals. It's our entire thing, that and sweating. But you know, that's not <laughs> interesting. Oh, I've been sweating a bit. Uh, it's gotten warm again after the cold snaps. <laughs> I know it's insane. So as incredibly social animals that are very, very interdependent on each other, the idea of everyone in your community suddenly ostracizing you is 
immensely scary. Indeed. Suddenly you're on the outs and, uh, you know, can you trust folks around you to, you know, respect your, uh, your, your person, you know, your, you know, your safety, you know, if they, uh, if you need to ask them for help, are they going to offer it or are they going to try to make things worse now? Yeah. You need to be able to trust the other members of your community because you depend on them for very, very basic survival. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't, that is literally threatening to your life. It is an incredibly basic fear for human beings that is used pretty effectively in a lot of these storylines. And uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, a lot of uh, major religions have gotten their start by forming communities that are, you know, we're going to band together and, you know, we're going to, you know, sort of exclusively, you know, have, a, you know, a good working relationship with each other because of our shared belief and uh, we can sort of uh, you know be us against the world to a certain degree and uh, you know if others want to join into this cool cool stuff this club here albeit you just have to you know sign up for the uh, the faith of choice here yeah and there's nothing inherently wrong with community membership on that kind of thing it's the weird xenophobic exclusion that you have to watch out for yeah but uh, I guess my point is you know it's a aspect of human nature that can you know be used to divide us to get us to take action against each other bring us together uh you know uh you know get us on board with some plan or some idea and you know it's something that you know i guess we need to be i guess aware of when we're interacting with the world around us to find the communities that are going to work for us um but not let them you know get co-opted by those who are going to try to you know, uh, you know, damage us or, you know, abuse that sort of uh, community in that relationship. Well, there's an interesting thing there, too, because especially when you're dealing with something like this, that's it's it's not a conspiracy. It's a takeover. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's framed as a conspiracy to start with. Well, they're, they're conspiring against, uh, you know, the, the, the Federation uh, people who are not, in, you know, p- parasited, I guess. But they just can take them over as, as the result of conspiracy. <laughs> Uh, a lot of this in-group, out-group, tribalism-y, whatever divided stuff everyone's on about now, most of that stems from just a very core things not being very good right now. Mm-hmm. As do all this kind of conspiracy things and stuff like this, because people aren't exactly wrong. Even the person who you disagree with politically and ideologically the complete most the person who is the most against everything that you believe in they're not exactly wrong something is going badly like stuff is not working well Mm -hmm. they are usually pretty mistaken in some of the mechanics of why and the ways to address it but the core thing something's going bad that's true indeed uh and i guess this you know gets to uh the Another thing that uh, I've learned about uh, early communities of various religions is that the, often there's a former f- uh, figure who stands up and says, "Let's fix the thing that's bad," and that bad thing is whatever is act, you know, you know, whatever they have, uh, you know, t- to uh, to sort of, uh, I guess, make the cell with, uh, which varies from faith to faith uh, and uh, other movements as well. Uh, I don't yeah. know why I'm thinking about this so much today, but I am. <laughs> Well, you can look at that like you have all these conspiracy things running around rampant now. Like we we talk about in the news all the time how many weird conspiracies there are and they're all intersecting and contradicting each other and melding melding together in weird ways. But like, let's just take something simple like the anti-vax movement, the idea that doctors have a 
monetary incentive to give you poison because it's going to make you sicker, do all this other stuff. It's like, that's stemming from a basic mistrust of medical institutions, which are fundamentally broken in America. Yeah. <laughs> they are profit-driven incentives are causing medical problems that are, in fact, hurting people. Oh, that's so true. They, they have the right end of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how they want to sort of fix that uh you know involves a extension of that belief into you know how have they interpreted the the wrongness that is out there uh you know you know what do, you know how does that collate you know mm -hmm. uh, compress down to a singular idea you get into a problem and i can you can see this happening it's like something's wrong people can't particularly articulate it well because we spend a lot of time and energy in uh modern in modern society telling people everything's fine and works perfectly. So you can't really articulate, you can't really ar articulate what's wrong particularly well. Mm -hmm. But the first person who comes to you and says, I also think things aren't wrong. I also think things are going bad. Here is why I think things are going bad. You're going to trust that person because that's the first person that's agreed with you that something's going wrong. <laughs> Indeed. And they have a way to deal with it. Not only have they told you something's wrong, but here's what you can do to fix it. And, uh, you, know, you know, if you didn't have a belief or a, a, you know, a clue beforehand, you know, this seems like the uh, first reasonable thing you've heard all day. So, you know, you clamp onto it. And if down the road someone tries to question it, you're like, no, this actually makes sense to me because, well, it's filled in the gaps for this uh, problem I've been sort of, you know, trying to get my head around. Yeah, I think the... We, we run into an issue when we just say it's human nature for us all to distrust each other. Da, 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 da. It makes us not actually think about what the people are getting out of this, why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Because we all fundamentally agree on a lot of the things here. Like the most like pro vaccination people around, like pro like mostly agree that there is in fact something wrong with the way we're doing medicine. Like we aren't, a lot of the arguments that I've heard from some of the very, very pro-vaccination people are saying that the monetary incentives in our medical field are preventing us from giving enough people the things that they need. Indeed. Oh, uh, and so then you get to the other direction. They're saying, well, the fact that there is a monetary incentive for someone to give me this shot makes me not trust it. So uh, are you uh, prepared to uh, get rid of that monetary incentive? I mean, I would like to. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to as well, actually. Uh, but, uh, you know, if your focus is entirely somewhere else, then this seems like a non-starter in terms of a suggestion. Uh, because, you know, you've already, you know, got yourself focused on something else that, you know, is apparently the, the, the core problem. And, you know, trying to be, you know, I guess extrapolated that back to the thing that's actually wrong sometimes can be tricky to, you know, get people to focus on because, you know, they're so wound up about, I guess the symptoms that they're seeing and not the actual causes which is why it's so it's so nice for you to be able to have something like you would imagine this i think this is the way that we think about even conspiracies and the way that we disagree with people now like there's one pretty evil being it's completely against us as a society and my values and beliefs and it is literally brainwashing and taking over other people and as soon as you can get rid of that one dude, that everything will be fine. Yeah, the, you know, uh, the uh, you know critical point of the infrastructure is suddenly taken out, and everything's now fine. 
Yeah. But then, you know, other folks are, you know, a little bit more up to speed on how the world actually works. And they're like, you know, Trump's just a symptom of the actual problems. You know that, right? Well, you know, it's great because you don't actually have to fundamentally challenge or change anything. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, changing is hard. It's a particularly neoliberal way of dealing with the problem. I guess this is also one of the reasons I have always been kind of annoyed with certain levels of uh, folks that I generally highly agree with in terms of politics who, you know, point to a politician of choice and, you know, if we just get this person elected, all our problems will be solved. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I might, you know, support you on some of these, uh, you know, uh, particular politicians from time to time, but I'm under no illusion that, that you know, this is going to be a silver bullet that takes care of all our problems here. Oh, you don't think everything suddenly went, went better immediately and all our problems are gone because we've elected the right president now <laughs> no i'm not that silly <laughs> you know I, I know that there's a lot more complications to politics the world and how things actually work than you know just you know change the name on uh you know you know on whose <laughs> desk it is so <laughs> yeah it's because we didn't elect the right person everything didn't get immediately fixed yes. <laughs> and it just proves it you know and uh and because and because we didn't elect the right person, you know, and uh, you know we uh, we have to uh, double down on uh, all our uh, biases uh, next time, so we get someone who is more like the person we want to elect, if that's yeah. possible. So, yeah, that got a little depressing. <laughs> a little bit. Anyway, yeah, I feel like we wound up in the weeds here a little bit, and you know we've been waffling on for a while anyway. So, but I, I guess uh, the you know one thing we can sort of pull out of all of this uh, from where we started and where we ended up is uh, don't put all your trust into one person. Yeah, because they might be have a, a brain parasite. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't know. Maybe we have brain parasites because we keep forcing people to listen to this thing that we do, which is the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, surprise, it's the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Ho oh, ho, you probably didn't cast, uh, see that one coming, or you did. Ho oh, ho. Anyway, our various contestants here, uh, be they uh, infected or not, have been uh, racking up lots of prizes here and, uh, you know, get their high scores and all that. Uh, there's a bit of a fist fight involved and uh, you know how that can get. That can get a little spicy, a little heated, a little uh, broken bones all over. But uh, let's get rolling here, in fact, starting off with that very fight. The first prize, you see, is the Wharf Effect, once again, which goes to Riker, Jordy, and Wharf, who all get to show, it, you know, just how serious the problem is by getting beat up and, uh, you know, all that by uh, a apparently a heavily juiced elderly admiral. Uh, what do they win, Gepwin? They win helmets. Why don't the security forces on any of these ships have helmets? <laughs> or some sort of force field hat? Anything. Like, I feel like they've had them in some of the movies also, I remember a design had like a siren on top and had the name on the side. That seemed pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they should get uh, get everyone one of those. And uh, so when they're running down the hall, they can turn the siren on and everyone's like, oh, I, I need to get out of the way. And, uh, you know, they can get there faster. They can get there safer. And uh, they maybe can take a few more uh, punches to the head by uh, by Admiral Quinn here. So, yeah, I mean, literally, why is that not part of a uniform in Lower Decks yet? <laughs> So, uh, Lower Decks writers, if you listen in, and you know, put that on. <laughs> Our second prize is the Weight-Bearing Boss Prize, which goes to the Blue Gills Mama Parasite inside Zremic, because they all seem to just die or go, 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 uh, 
go dormant once it's dead. Uh, so that, that's a little silly, but, you know, I guess that works. It makes things easy. What does it win, Gepwin? <clears throat> the Lugial parasites win some unionization. You know, they need to form a worker-owned conspiracy because then they could just they could just spread this stuff out and delegate they could all benefit from the takeover of the federation instead of just the one the one main guy and then it wouldn't be as much of a problem indeed so you don't have to worry about uh you know uh, dealing with the uh, the one in charge and suddenly well i guess we don't have an organization you know instead they can fall back to the workers councils you know the workers councils like well the president of the council has been killed but the rest of us are still here ha ha Hmm. Uh, and so uh, they'll continue onward and uh, to, to glory and victory and all that cool stuff. But uh, let's get on to our final prize here, the Gawuld style prize. The Gawuld. Ga- Ga- I can never pronounce that right, Gepwin. Um, Gawuld. Gawuld. <laughs> Gawuld. There's, Ga- there's an apostrophe. You know, yes, Gawuld. Like <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, 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 that, that prize goes to the rest of the Blue Guild uh, parasites there for clamping onto the spinal cords like the Gawuld in Stargate. What do they win, <laughs> Gepwin? <laughs> they just get to be. The, this is just the crossover. Like, the gold changed what they looked like between movies and, and series anyway, so <laughs> this is just the crossover episode. Like, the, the unexplored part of the galaxy is just that from way back. Everyone forgot Stargate happened, you know, it's several <laughs> hundred years to get to Star Trek. It explains some of the technology. Well, uh, you see, there's still World War Three on Earth, and uh, yeah. so, that, like, uh, Barry Cheyenne Mountain and the Stargate, and so everyone involved is, is dead or, you know, left planet ages ago. Uh, and so yeah, it just got all forgotten. But the uh, the pyramid ships are still out there, man. Yeah, and by the time you get to the end of Stargate, every ally that they've had has died or gone into dormancy as an old race. So yep. it explains why you don't have anyone running around. <laughs> they they literally blow up the Asgard home planet in one of the last episodes. Well, you know, I'd say that the Asgard did it themselves in that case. But uh, it's a good episode, I'll say. <laughs> but little silly. Anyway, that's all I got for today, Gepwin. Uh, unless uh, I want to get out, give out prizes for uh, everyone, uh, you know, uh, getting their fingers all the grubs there. Um, so uh, go ahead and take it away. Yes, we need to be, stop being grossed out by very slightly foreign food. It's stop it. <laughs> Just stop. They they literally would stock the Voyager kitchen by going to the Asian market and just grabbing fruit. Yep. <laughs> they just stop this, okay? There's more food out there than chicken fingers. Hmm. Anyway, thank you all for joining us on the Galaxy's <laughs> Favorite Game Show! <laughs> so, uh, that was Conspiracy. Yeah. Did and you, we get did, to move on to possibly another conspiracy. Yeah, it's a different yeah. sort of conspiracy. Hmm. <clears throat> One where we don't know what's going on, and it doesn't get resolved until it's sort of implied later. Yeah, we're setting up so many weird things in these these last few things. Yes. <laughs> this one gets paid off at least a little bit, but then we forget that yeah. they did this anyway. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, Remember all those uh, uh, space stations along the neutral zone with the Romulans that, uh, you know, uh, in uh, uh, Balance of Terror, like the Romulans were blowing up some of them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should, like, keep track of those. 
Yeah, and then yeah. colonies that are scooped out of the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, next episode, we get into some of the good stuff. Like, the neutral zone, final episode of season one, is one of the first, like, really full-on, legitimately good Next Generation episodes. Now, I do know f- folks that will disagree with you, but I actually kind of like it myself, so. Yeah, I mean, just, like, it's not perfect. There's some problems, but it's like, this is when the Romulans show up. There's that tension stuff. It's just it's just got all the good junk in there. Mm-hmm. They're still working stuff out, definitely. But, like, by the end of season one, you're like, okay, this started rough, but we're getting there. Yes. So this is getting to a bit of, you know, what Star Trek Next Generation is going to be for the next few years. I think it's easier to see looking back because you're like, oh, here's where they're planting all the good seeds. Also, uh, we have some uh, uh, kind of random folks that we thaw out of cryostasis. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I love that. (laughs) I love these guys. (laughs) So uh, suddenly we have some Philip J. Fry's running around. (laughs) Yep. It's the best. The the old finance guy is like, I need to go check on all of my stocks and stuff. It's like currency collapsed 200 years ago, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't really use it anymore because, you know, it became worthless. We decided, you know, maybe if we just like did stuff. It all oh, I'm out. sorry. Did you believe in the ev- inevitability of American capitalism? That's cute. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, I guess you can look up people, but uh, don't expect the institutions to actually exist anymore. <laughs> And uh, also, we have a return of a uh, of a Mark Alemo. Yep, yeah. once again playing the first appearance of an iconic alien, yep. <laughs> like he does. Yes. <laughs> uh, this time, uh, you know, it's a uh, iconic alien that's actually going to stick around for a while. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to you know some dog aliens that are yeah kind dog of, dudes that are more memorable because of how silly they are <laughs> that he hated so much he didn't get credit in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah. So next time. First appearance of the new Romulans. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, country music comes back to life. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcasts, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware the next time you step off the transporter that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>